0: We live in a culture that depends on electricity to charge and power so many things. And the idea of charging devices has become a common household experience, or you might call it a common household conflict. Say if someone borrows or breaks your charger, and then you need to charge your device and you can't find it, or maybe the family charger at the charging station has gone AWOL. You can't find that. And so you're running out of juice. You feel stranded. Your device is slowly draining energy. So you run out to CVS. Or you send your spouse or your, one of your children to go out and get you a new charger. But then your husband says, no, there's one under the couch. But no, the dog was chewing on that. And the little end fell off. And that's not going to work. But you can tell that I've been through these challenges right, of charging things. And I think we all could tell a challenging charging story for our devices. And this is such a need to charge our devices that people have created these entire like hubs, charging hubs, right, with all these different kinds of adapters. You've got USB, USB C, you've got Thunderwire, micro USB, um, Firewire, where you can charge all these devices in one place. But it's still a challenge, right, to keep everything charged up at 100%. And now you can even charge a device without a cord. There's wireless charging, which is quite extraordinary. Even cars, we're starting to need to plug in our cars and charge those too. And so this way of thinking of charging and recharging, I think it now permeates our culture as we surround ourselves with electronics. And if we're not careful, I believe that this mindset might even seep into our spiritual lives. Have you ever heard yourself or someone you know saying, I just need a recharge? We might look at ourselves much like we look at our other smart devices, feel like we maybe need to plug into some kind of a power source just to get a little juice till we can um, feel on fire again. And some people might even start to look at their relationship with Jesus like this. Maybe we come to church hoping to get recharged, listen to a podcast of our favorite popular speaker, just to feel that energy. Maybe it's high-impact worship music, right? We just want to get recharged in the Lord, so to speak. But the problem here is that while these things are helpful, and they're probably very encouraging for us, they're not meant to replace what's truly important. And this is something that goes beyond just a momentary fleeting charge or energy or experience, And this is having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus cares very much about our relationship with him and the nature of our relationship with him. So he explains it using a beautiful example of something we can find in nature, in God's own creation. Jesus talks about our relationship with him using the image of a vine. And we have actually been exploring this idea of the Vine in our youth small groups for several weeks leading up to Christmas break. And so we thought that this would be great for us to all explore together here on Sunday morning. And so today our topic is simply abide. And I know this is our first Sunday back after the new year and some of us might still be in recovery mode after great celebrations. Um, So we'll take it kind of easy as we go, but I still want to try to cover a few key ideas as we do. So first we're gonna look at this general idea of what does it mean to abide in something? And then I'd like to look at three main aspects of this process that I think we really need to understand if we're gonna follow Jesus' instructions to us here in this passage. So we're gonna look at this idea of the true vine. Who is the true vine? What really does that mean? Second, who are the branches that are part of this vine? And lastly, who is the gardener? Right? And what role does he play in this abiding process and, and this fruit-bearing process? So what does it mean to abide? Abide most simply means to remain, and some of your translations may say remain. So imagine if you're in your mind's eye, if you will, uh, I like to picture maybe a father right, holding a newborn baby, and we know that a baby's fingers are so tiny that they can only really hold on to the, their father's finger, right? So they're clutching the father's finger. So just imagine that. The father's holding the baby. The baby is holding on to the father. And in this way, we have a bit of a, a glimpse into what Jesus is talking about, about, about abiding. So the, the baby is being held by the father, and the father is holding the baby, and, um, and the baby's holding the father, and in this way, the baby is abiding in the father, and the father is abiding with the babe. And this word abide has a very close meaning to another English word that you might know. And so if you're an English major, we call this the noun version. Okay? The word is abode. And we don't use this word very much in our common English speak uh, today. But if you did, you might say, I returned to my abode after last Christmas Eve's service. In other words, we would really say, I returned home. I returned home. And so we might choose to think of this idea of abiding as being at home. So what are we abiding in? And I think Jesus uses this wonderful analogy to something that's pretty common and it's natural. So that he's trying to help us to understand what could be kind of a complex spiritual idea. By using something common And Jesus did this a lot in his teaching He would use common elements Either in culture or in nature To really teach profound truths to his followers And so here Jesus is using this idea of a vine And he calls himself the true vine Now in biblical times vineyards were common Much more common than today I don't think any of us could really say That we have a vineyard in our backyard Although wouldn't that be nice? Um but they're they are common in other parts of the country, a little more than here. But, but have any, any of you maybe been in a vineyard still, even if it's not in your own backyard? Have you gone on a tour of a vineyard? Oh, well, some of you, okay. It's still not as common as it was back then. But to see a vineyard is to see those beautiful bundles of ripe grapes, to smell the fruit ripening on the vine, um, to see the carefully laid trellises and the rows of vines and branches as they've been carefully trimmed and pruned and maybe you even had a chance to harvest some grapes or participate in that process right of stomping the grapes turning them into juice or wine or other products and in biblical times vineyards would have been a great source of income for the people as well as food or drink and really just a great place to enjoy and so jesus uses this illustration of a vineyard to help his followers understand the nature of their relationship with him as a true vine so who is the true vine? Jesus is the true vine. He's not a fake vine. He's not one of those weedy invasive types right, that you have to pull out every year that keeps coming back and back and you just get frustrated. Why does this vine keep coming back? Right? He's the true vine. And the idea of a vine is not a new biblical idea either. Um, you know, It didn't just appear in the New Testament here in this passage. If you go back to Isaiah 5, 7, You can read, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. And so Jesus really is making quite a statement here when he comes out and says, I am the true vine. Right? And so where Israel failed in their faithfulness in following God, following his commands, now Jesus is going to show that he's the perfect, obedient follower of God's laws and commands. And not that Jesus is coming to replace Israel. He's going to redeem Israel and, and redeem all of us. In fact, some of what Jesus teaches here implies this idea of laying down your life for your friends out of love. And so we have kind of a unique advantage here because we're looking back as we, we can read the whole gospel, but as Jesus was teaching this to his disciples, he hadn't gone to the cross yet. So they didn't know what was coming, but we have the advantage of that, right? So we look at this and we can see in an even more beautiful way uh, what Jesus is starting to reveal to his followers. He's going to lay down his life out of love for his friends. Jesus, at the beginning of this gospel, Jesus Is known. He's described as the true light, and we've been talking a lot about that Uh, this Advent season, this Christmas season. We talk about Jesus as the light that's come into the world, and so now we see Jesus being revealed as the true vine. So we have the true light and the true vine now here in chapter 15, and this true vine has a clear function and a clear purpose, just like a vine in a vineyard, and so. If you've been to that vineyard, you know it's not just the vine that runs through there. There are branches coming up out of the vine. And so we need to continue to explore Jesus' example here and ask, who are the branches? And Jesus says, it's the followers of Jesus. It's us. It's you. We are the branches. And as such, we're connected to the vine, Jesus. Jesus. And in this analogy, the branches are physically connected to the vine, right? They're attached. And as we think about this idea of abiding in Jesus, it's not so much about maybe an outward action, like, oh, here we are as branches, getting ourselves connected to the vine, um, and over and over, right? You don't think when you think of a branch, it would be completely unnatural for a branch to detach itself and then reattach itself to a vine, right? So once we're connected, we're to remain connected. And it's not just this outward experience of showing ourselves that we're, you know, showing other people that we're connected to this vine. But it's more about this inward experience of what's happening as we're connected to this vine. An inward experience that's starting to flow out of this inner connection to Jesus through the vine. And once we're connected, we're to remain connected to the vine, to Jesus, and it's very different from that first idea we talked about, about devices getting charged and um, plugging in, unplugging. And these branches that are in the vine, Jesus, will eventually show their inner connection in an outward way. This outward means of growth that we see, those are sustained by the nourishment that comes from the inner workings of the vine. And as branches, we might say, that through the inner workings of God's grace in us, and our lives, and our hearts, that we'll begin to see this outward manifestation of the fruit of God's grace in our lives. And we're going to come back to that in just a little bit. But as branches who abide in Jesus, we are to be on a continual pursuit of God in every aspect of our being. And abiding in Jesus really is meant to be more of an attitude of our souls. And our souls were designed to be in fellowship with God. That's how he created us to be. He made us to be in relationship with him, not on an occasional or part-time, momentary kind of way. Rather, God designed us to be in constant relationship with him at all times, like those branches in the vine. And it's so dangerous if we start to buy into this idea that we're meant to plug in and charge up with God and applying that to our spiritual lives like we're some kind of computer device, because that's not how we were designed by God, not how we were designed to function in relationship with him. And this mentality of connecting and disconnecting actually, I think, can lead us into a realm of dysfunction, right, dysfunctional relationships with God and then with each other, right, where we end up um, having relationships that lack continuity or lack commitment. And as Jesus so aptly shows in this illustration of the vine, We are like branches designed and created to be intricately but permanently connected and affixed to the true vine of Jesus Christ. Jesus wants us to abide in him. He wants us to find our home in him for him, to make his home in us, to dwell in us. He dwells in us through his abiding Holy Spirit, who nurtures and sustains us as if with life-giving water, as we abide as branches in the vine. And Jesus said it of himself and of the Father, and he intends this type of relationship for us too. And he says in John 14, 19 to 20, Because I live, you also will live, and on that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And then in John fifteen four, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so we're the branches, and we're all connected to this one true vine. And we all depend on the same source for our sustenance and and these nutrients as branches on the vine. I think in our culture, too, we do like to think of ourselves as kind of independent, right? Independent creatures or people. But um, like it or not, (laughs) We're members of the body of Christ. And we are all branches connected to the one true vine of Jesus Christ. And I think, too, that we would see quite a contrast between um, branches that remain in the vine and those that do not. And I think we all would like to be known as branches who remain in the vine. Jesus explicitly says here, If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And I think we can see here from Jesus' teaching that it's far better to remain in the true vine, Jesus, than to meet with such a fate. And Jesus isn't trying to scare us here or to scare the disciples or to make threats like a, like a parent to their child might say, you better remain in that vine or else. Right? But I think Jesus would at least want us to understand the gravity of our situation apart from him and the extreme importance of remaining in Jesus. And Jesus doesn't want us walking around like withered, fruitless uh, people right? as we walk around in our life's journeys. Jesus gives life, and the only way to receive this new life, this abundant life, is by being directly and constantly connected to the source of life itself, who is Jesus, the true life. Now, the Father has a unique relationship with Jesus, the true vine, and so our next question is, who's the gardener? And I just gave you the answer. It's the Father. In this analogy, Jesus says it's God, the Father, who's the gardener. Some translations will say vine dresser. It's God who tends to the vine, and we know that Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are one, right? You, you ace the Trinity exam. So we can technically say that not only is God the Lord of the vine, but he's also the vine, and he's going to tend to that vine. And so we have an early picture here of the church, the members as branches, sustained by Jesus the true vine, and tended to and cared for by God himself. And part of God's care for the vine involves cutting away fruitless branches. We call this Pruning, and to make these fruitful branches even more fruitful. And we know that pruning is necessary if good fruit is going to be produced out of these branches. And so while the dead branches are always pruned away, sometimes pruning might seem to involve what looks like healthy branches, but those branches might not be in the best position Uh, Maybe they're not bearing the best fruit uh, as they could or as much fruit as possible. And so God, in his wisdom, is going to prune accordingly to give the best fruit and the most fruit. Um, And by pruning, God's going to ensure that there's life-giving nutrients provided to the best-positioned branches, right? That's going to produce the best crop. I think oftentimes our culture would focus more on, oh, we want to have as much fruit as possible. But God's not just concerned with the quantity, but also the quality of the fruit. right? And as God prunes us wisely, that fruit that is grown in us is of the best condition. So effective pruning always produces the best fruit and more of it. And I think as we look at the church, um, globally, locally, um, you might see people moving around in different leadership positions or um, moving from one role to another. Uh, even in our workplaces, right, you, you might be going for a promotion, but God moves you in a different direction. It's not necessarily that you um, weren't producing fruit. Maybe you were, but God wants to produce an even better fruit. either more fruit or a better fruit in your life, and so we need to trust him in this process. Pruning sometimes also pertains to segments of one branch. So maybe it's a part of a branch that's dead and needs to be trimmed away. Um, God might be working in us on particular habits or hang-ups that are bringing decay, right? And those need to be trimmed or cut off entirely. So there's all kinds of ways that the father, the gardener, is going to prune us, but he's going to do it in wisdom. We can trust him. I think we need to consider the nature of the vine, right? Vines are a spreading plant, some more rapidly than others, Okay, and so the idea that these branches in the vine are going to produce fruit inherently implies the idea of reproduction. And if you've ever looked inside a piece of fruit, you know that there's seeds, right, in there. And these seeds can be planted, and then they're ultimately going to result in more fruit. So again, not a new idea. Just because we're in the New Testament, this isn't a new idea. We can go all the way back to Genesis, right? And God said, be fruitful. Okay? So Jesus is showing us now how we can fulfill this mandate, be fruitful, even in a fallen world, even after the sins of Adam and Eve. You know, we might be tempted to think all is lost oh, we'll never have a fruitful life. But quite the contrary here, according to Jesus' teaching. Jesus came to the world to shine his light and to show us that he is the way, the way of life. And Jesus is teaching that we are no longer separated from God. Right? through the work of Jesus on the cross, he's going to create this unique relationship. And that's what he's showing his disciples. He's saying, I'm the vine and you're the branches. We're going to have this kind of interconnected relationship. He's laying out the plan. Jesus is talking about how we're all going to be connected. Right, The true vine, the branches, the gardener. And all these parts of the system are going to work together. And there's going to be a great fruit that's produced, and that is fruit with a purpose. And so rule number one about bearing fruit is that it comes from Jesus. And anything else uh, you might say is fruit of a different vine, a different kind of fruit. So I have to be um, honest with you. All this talk about fruit makes me hungry. Um, it is getting close to lunch. So. But it's not hard to make me hungry these days, in case you didn't notice. I am expecting that. Um, so... Yeah, so I, but I think we have to ask, um, what kind of fruit exactly is Jesus talking about? There's the fruit of reproduction of reproducing disciples or followers of Jesus, and so that's one way that church grows, right, by adding branches along this vine. But there's also spiritual fruit. Galatians five twenty two to twenty three says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this is all to God's glory that we're going to bear fruit and that the branches bear fruit. It's not to the glory of the branches. Remember, it's God who's pruning these branches so that they will produce these kinds of fruit. And the branches are completely dependent on the vine for nutrients. So God gets the glory for the fruit. Is any one fruit more desirable than another? Well, Jesus certainly highlights one fruit here, the fruit of the Spirit, and he highlights love. Jesus said, remain in me, but also remain or stay in the love of Jesus. And this is the kind of love that we describe as agape love. We know God is a source of love, God is love, but this agape love is a selfless kind of love. It's going to consider the greatest good of the other ahead of itself. It's not a love that's just based on feelings or attraction, but a, a choice of the will. And agape love reveals a love that's willing to sacrifice without the expectation of being paid back. And so we know, looking back now, that Jesus was talking about his great love and the Father's great love, that he was going to lay down his life for us on the cross. And it's this same love that the Father has for the Son that Jesus has for every one of us. The same love that sent Jesus to earth to dwell among humanity. The same love that rose Jesus from the grave. And the same love that the Apostle Paul wrote about to the church in Ephesus. when he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power Together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Jesus taught that if we love one another like this, with this deeply rooted agape love, then we are his friends. We are friends of God. And if we have this kind of fruit, the fruit of love in our lives, we are abiding in Jesus in the true vine. God is love and the fruit of the Spirit is love. But this kind of love can only come as we continue to abide in Jesus and abide in the vine. Not only will we show the fruit of love to others, but we're going to show it to God too. How how are we going to show our love to God? We're going to keep his commands because we're in Christ and Christ is in us. And we're abiding in his love. And it's out of love that we follow God's ways, that we follow his commands. And Jesus was teaching the disciples in this special lesson that they were appointed to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Right? They were chosen to, to bear fruit for God's kingdom. And what a legacy and a contribution to the church and to the body of Christ that they made. Right? But do you know that it's the same vine that they're grafted into, that we too are grafted into. It's the true vine of Jesus Christ. And that means that God has appointed each one of us, too, to go and bear fruit. We're chosen to be a spectacle, a fruit-bearing vine for all to see, so that God will be glorified. So I just have a few practical applications for us as we head into this week. It might be tempting, if you read this passage, especially verse 7, to think, ooh, if I just abide in the vine, God's going to give me whatever I ask. Right? I could be rich. I could be a millionaire. I'm going to start praying for a yacht. That's what I've been pining over. Or maybe a private island. Right? That'd be nice. You could go there twice a year, maybe more, if you could, if you could uh, swing the air for her. But the kind of prayer we're talking about here is the kind of prayer that is meant to be connected to the vine. And the kind of prayer here ought to be grounded in God's sovereign will and in the authority of Christ. And so, does Jesus want you to get a new car? Maybe. But a car is not listed in the fruit of the Spirit that we just read. So I would propose, how about we pray for help to love one another? Then, we might be able to watch those seeds of love that are planted in others' lives grow into fruitful discipleship and into lives that discover the goodness and love of God for themselves, expanding the vine right, with more branches as God brings more and more people into his kingdom, into the family of God. Abiding in Jesus means we will bear much fruit, so trying to bear fruit apart from Jesus is futile. And as we learn how to abide in Jesus, we'll grow And these fruits will grow in love, in joy, in peace, in patience, in kindness, in goodness, in faithfulness, gentleness, and in self-control. So how can we be growing in these traits in our personal relationships, or at school, or at work? And you'll know if you're bearing fruit in the workplace, for example, if a coworker notices that, hey, when I make a mistake, my boss blows up at me, but you don't. What's different about you? That's, that's a fruit that's going to be really easy to recognize. People are going to notice that you're patient. That's a fruit of the Spirit. You're good to them. Through a constant abiding in Jesus, we'll find life. We'll find purpose and meaning through our connection to Jesus and to others in this one true vine. We'll experience safety and assurance that the gardener is caring for us as we abide in Jesus And I I picture the branches extending off the vine in the vineyard and how the gardener has made sure that every branch has enough space to grow and to grow well and to produce good fruit. God takes such care and intention as he prunes those vines, those branches. And I don't know about you, but when I garden at home, I'm in my garden beds and I'm just pulling out weeds left and right. Whatever looks good, I'm pulling it out. Whatever looks like it doesn't belong, right? If it's dead, I'm definitely pulling that out. Right. Um, I don't do a lot of investing and in planning for how I'm going to um, prune anything, um, but thanks be to God that the Father takes so much care in the pruning process. And we can trust him in this work, because God has the big picture in mind as he tends to the health of the branches. And as we abide in the vine, we're going to experience communion with God and with others. And we're designed to be in that community with others, not separate. Remember, our souls are not designed to be detached and reattached to the vine, but in constant relationship with our Creator and with Jesus. So let's make time this week to establish a habit of abiding in Jesus, remembering that we're connected to the true vine. We're surrounded and sustained by the nurturing love of God. So in conclusion, Jesus wants us to find our true home in Him, while He, at the same time, wants to live in us. And like this idea of sap that nurtures all the branches in the vine, so too the Holy Spirit nourishes God's people, bringing us refreshment and life, sustaining us. And as the Father tends to us, pruning us, God is producing the best fruit in us, and all of this to the glory of God. Amen.